Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Life on Side B, where we talk about queer things. <laughs> I need a better introduction to this podcast than that, but better than our long, better than our long, long first introduction that we did in season one. But anyway, welcome back. Let's say it's like you used to have a really like long. It was thing. I felt like at the beginning we really needed an like an explanation, and then I felt like at this point eh, you probably already know what we're talking about <laughs> at this point well i mean they know but i mean i don't think some new listeners i don't think they always start in season one they'll probably listen to a few this episodes in the current season figure out if they like it and then go back this is true so for anyone listening for the first time welcome to life on side b podcast where we talk about what it's like to live according to the traditional sexual ethic of christianity as lgbt and same-sex attracted christians <gasps> If you're here for the first time, you don't know what this is. That is what this is. And <laughs> we have Ashley returning. Hello. Hello, hello. How does it feel to be back after having a baby? Good. It feels, uh, it went by fast than I thought. And I mean, I really did miss it. Like, I remember I watched the, um, once I got back from the hospital, because we were there for a week and that was longer than mm-hmm. anticipated. Um, I listened to like our Christmas episode that we had planned to record like <laughs> when I had the baby and it was like, nope, that didn't happen. But, um, oh, I've been yeah. listening to the episodes and it went by faster than I, than I thought it would. So yeah, it, it wasn't it, like, it really did go by a lot fast. I know. I can't believe it. It's a year since like the pandemic began. Yeah. Like, um, this is probably more or less when the episode came out before the quarantine because mm-hmm. like next week's like a year since quarantine yeah yeah i will i think what it is is um so for everyone we, we've been talking about uh, we i, I hope I'm, I'm not gonna promise that it's gonna happen but it looks like it's gonna happen we're gonna do a um like a a one-year anniversary of the side beyond life during corona episode and we were talking about it and I actually looked, it, the episode actually came out March 31st, but we recorded it a lot earlier than that. I think That's we what I was trying to figure it, out, because I, yeah. I looked on the um, my podcast app to see what when that episode came out. I think it said the 29th, but it was somewhere maybe, yeah, around. maybe, yeah, 29th, yeah. It was somewhere around there, but I know we had recorded it before, because you added a lot to it, and you edited that one a lot and everything. Yeah, but that I one I when took, we recorded like, it. weeks editing. I, I took quite a bit of time but yeah i think it was around now when we started when we recorded but, our but part. that episode came out after quarantine started like i said quarantine started mm-hmm. like the week of the 17th so yeah. it wasn't now you just no. had a lot of time on your hands and it felt longer this is probably true <laughs> this is probably true that you took a few like... days but you didn't take weeks oh. oh i felt like it was weeks but who knows Oh Maybe a my week. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how does it feel to be a mother? That's another question I have for you. It's 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 got a a learning curve to it. Um like I think I've mentioned before that I come from a large family. I'm the oldest of nine. So the basics of like changing diapers and not panicking and they'll eventually go to sleep like stuff like that everybody's like it's different when it's your kids i'm like poop is poop (laughs) amen 
it that doesn't change much. It changes when it's like they keep putting your kid back in an incubator and it's like eh. yeah. yeah. And I hope he's all right and everything. So I mean, the first few weeks cuz it was like he wasn't preemie, but he was 2 weeks early, so it's like it's not preemie, he's full term, he was full size, but they still had stuff that we had to like look into and it was a few weeks of that, so it was kind of intense and tiring, but after that we've 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 gone into our own little little routine if you want to call it that like mm-hmm. it's just he he decides how the day is going to go that's that's pretty much how that is right now he is the master of the house oh yes but it's fun 100%. and i love it and he's adorable and he's he's great like uh we love it well we're excited to have another mascot of the podcast you know him becca's kids we have plenty yeah of i was thinking that i was like we actually now have Three little life outside bee childrens. Exactly, little youngins. Great. Well, um, anyone that's on YouTube, you might notice. Hey, there's no video here. Um, yeah. So j- I will just like kind of say that you know, um, not all of our pod- our co-host team is out, and so and not only that, but we we also at times may not have guests that are. Um, completely out so at times on this this um season we'll have times when there's video other times when there's not so this episode is just going to be audio today but um you know this is our first episode that we have done that we're doing i guess um that the topic was picked by our patrons we have um have an option for our brilliant b patrons to pick topics for episodes and this is the first one that was chosen. The topic for today is the topic of the potential power and harm of our stories. A very interesting topic to think about. How do our stories affect people? How do our stories help the church, hurt the church, help the LGBT community, hurt the LGBT community? What does that look like? What can we do to um, to change that, to negate that, to amplify the blessings the way it helps? All of those things. So that's what we're going to talk about. And I'm really, really glad that we have um, it's Ashley and I here because I think one of the really nice things about this is that Ashley's story and mine kind of I feel like in between ours on this topic. Your and my stories kind of highlight some of the different ways that our stories can be both powerful and potential harm, like in the sense of celibacy and mixed orientation marriage or like all these different kinds of things. Oh, yeah. I feel like mine's the dangerous one. (laughs) Not necessarily. And see, that's where I can't wait for us to get into. That's well, we'll we'll get into that before we do. Our conversation starter for today is um, is have you listened to sell similar's preacher's kid album um i've listened to it like passingly a couple times um not like i don't know how much attention i paid to it but yeah i've listened to it a couple times yeah for anyone who doesn't know what in the world we're talking about um it so in i can't remember it was probably like the last two weeks ago something like that um yeah semler and i hope i'm pronouncing their name right um preacher is this album preach called preacher's kid by the artist uh, semler um 
topped the Apple Music charts for Christian and gospel music. And it is a queer... uh, It is the album of an openly queer person. It's like the first time that this has ever, ever happened. Yeah. It's so crazy to think about. And I, I just thought, well, that definitely means we need to talk about at least some. Yeah, I was listening to it yesterday. I, I do have to say, I, it's not the kind of music I would personally normally listen to. It's probably Same. a little bit more angst than I would normally do. It's, I mean, yeah, but it, to me it's a little more folksy than I really listen to. Yeah. I am, I am more the angsty music. I was. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, we're the same age. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. sure you remember... When we were teenagers, a lot of like up and coming music for some reason was a lot of contemporary Christian rock. Mm-hmm. So that was my thing. I listened to a lot of, still listen to a lot of rock, metal, all that type of stuff. So I mean, for me, mm-hmm. the angsty part wasn't that bad, but it was like it was very, it was very folksy, and um, that's not usually my thing. Even though yeah. so many lesbians love it so much. <laughs> I mean, I definitely think that if this had come out when I was in high school, it totally, I totally would have had it on repeat. It totally would have been the album I wanted. Um, because I, and I, I think totally that's agree. what her intention was too. Yeah, probably because I, thinking about the kind of Christian music I listened to in high school, this is, it's almost like, this is what I always wanted. And I do have to say, there's one part, there's one part of this album that made me laugh. And I need to read these, these lyrics because of just from the youth group track, the youth group track, yeah. dear Lord. Okay. So for any, one. for anyone who, I'm just going to read this for anyone who doesn't know it. It's like, Youth group lock-ins are a really strange concept that youth group leaders seem to really like. It's like, let's take some repressed hormonal teenagers and put them in a church and hope they find Jesus overnight. Like, Jesus is a ghost hiding in the church, and if you stay long enough, you'll find him. But in my experience, the only thing you find is your sexuality. (laughs) And did I... Did I... I think I put that on the messenger. I was like, when I was listening to that, I was thinking about it. And I was like, wait a second. I was like, my church used to do lock-ins. I mean, I don't remember youth group ever doing lock-ins. It was like, because then at that point, you're teenagers. And they never did boys and girl things together ever. But we had what we called like Royal Rangers and Missionettes. So it was basically like scouts. Okay. And they would have lock-ins for us. So I remember the one I went to when I was 10 years old was when I figured out I had a crush on a girl. <laughs> oh, my God. See, my... That was the night that caused me to question my sexuality the first time and then lock it away for 11 years. Yeah. See, I did... We did have lock-ins for youth group growing up. My and... youth bachelors weren't that crazy. Yeah, it's, it is crazy to think back to it. Like, a culture, like, conservative Christian culture, which is so big on, like, boys and girls, like, don't, don't do this stuff. Yeah, let's lock everyone in this church building. And sure, we're going to be able to keep people apart. Like, yeah, I don't know. We even did one. I still remember when we did. And I always thought, this is where it was always ironic to be, like, the gay kid in the youth group. Because we did one where it was like a... It was this hip, I guess, hip kind of lock-in thing where they, like, you fasted. It it was, I don't know. It was, like, you fasted for it, but you were raising money in your fast for, like, sending meals to another place You fasted before the lock-in or during the lock-in? No, during. 
It was well, like what a, we did with lock-ins. There was always lots of candy and games. I know. Well, this was a different kind of one. It was like a thing where like you then camped in tents on the out like on the outside of the um out the on the outside of the um of the building. And they brought all of these youth groups together. It was like all of these youth groups. But the funny part is they had the men, boys tents on one side. Oh, like a retreat type thing almost. Kind of, but like you're in the same area and it was only for one night. Yeah. It so but and then the weird part is is you like fasted the entire time. And then the thing that made it even more torturous is that by the end of it, when you're like the next day, when you're like really hungry, you're waiting to be able to go eat lunch. Then they did this whole entire thing where they gave you a list of things to go buy at the supermarket to then, like, you had to buy a certain amount of stuff for, like, um, for a family, of food for a family that they were going to give to a family in need. But you're going to the supermarket having not eaten for, like, 20 hours at this point. And you're like, I hate this. This is awful. Yeah. And... But the funny part was, is when they would split everyone up and they had a certain hour where, like, you couldn't go over, guys couldn't go over to the girls, like, area of tents and girls couldn't come over to our area of tents. I was like, yeah. And I was just like, okay. (laughs) I don't want to go over there. I don't want to go over there anyway. Half you are here. (laughs) The other, my half are here. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that the only thing other thing I'd say about the album is I definitely think it's showing the great divide, as I say, between the pulpit and lay people in what people are wanting to hear in Christianity. I, I think so many times like what we hear from pastors and all this stuff is like their fear to talk about LGBTQ issues because, you know, what of the congregation, you know, and all of this different kind of stuff. But it, it's showing that this is something that wants to be talked about you know, the LGBTQ experience in church. The very fact that we're hearing about this in, like, an album like this would top music charts of Christian music. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the um, the video she did a while back. Uh, her name is mm-hmm. Grace Elbridge, by the way. Um, okay. The videos that she did, uh, I mean, she did, I know she did one with Jackie L. Perry, and um, I think... Um, Kevin Garcia was in it too, just about interviewing different types of people. But she did one about the music, the Christian music industry. So I think she's also she's a little younger than us, but she's about our age. Grew up in church, obviously, and everything. And she went in to talk, interview people who were very involved in Christian contemporary music, mm-hmm. like industry overall, that are no longer in it, either because of standing up for queer people or being queer themselves yeah. or different things like that. And, um, and just talked about it. And one of the critiques she had and whether or not her response to that was appropriate, I don't know, but that there was really no songs about, there were no praise songs. There were no songs praising God in her Christian album or whatever. And that was one of the things she talked about in that other video that like Christian contemporary music for the most part, it, there's like certain things that you have to say and that was one of the things that like for example Lecrae got in hot water over a few years ago not only just because of he started talking about race but just because the way his music started sounding and they're like you're not preaching the gospel with your music nah, 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 nah. and it's like okay is my music who's my music for is it for you mm. is it for someone else and he's like yeah when I was a young rapper I wanted to you know talk about theology in every single song but he's like now he's like I just want to make music and that Mm -hmm. so it's like there's this whole 
divide almost now with like what Christian artists are and aren't allowed to talk about, make art about, talk about, like, you know, like what consists of a Christian album. Granted, there is a parental advisory on Semler's album, which is interesting to be on Christian charts too, because she has Curse. This is true. And I have my own mixed feelings about that. But like you said, it's, it's interesting to see like what pastors think that the congregation needs to hear and what a lot of the times we would also like to hear. And I think there needs to be a healthy balance of both. Absolutely. Of like the honesty and vulnerability that she has that you don't see in music. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, we do also have to say like, obviously this is, um, not a side B artist. Like she's definitely affirming and, Oh yeah. And married and all married and all. And, um, but it, it definitely just is a unique moment in history in like, this point part of history yeah of um queer faith and so definitely something worth noting um yeah so getting into the main topic for today um the potential power and harm of our stories i'm very intrigued that um this is the first topic that our patrons picked to for us to talk about i i didn't think it was going to be this one but I'm very intrigued. Um, I, I, so with this, you know, a lot of this whole conversation, I think, as I've been thinking about this, feels like it's it's very connected, obviously, to the culture and Christianity of testimonies mm-hmm. and the power of testimonies, which can be connected to a general understanding of just stories. But I, I think there's something unique about the testimony culture in Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I don't really know much of the history of where that comes from, um, but because it's it's far beyond the LGBTQ kind oh, of yeah. situation, yeah. and and I think obviously then it got picked up in the LGBTQ conversation by like ex gay narrative, obviously mm-hmm. where testimony became huge. Oh yeah. And, and I even would say, even in affirming, like, history, as you had people like Matt Vine and, like, some people that, and, and Justin Lee, who their stories became some of the primary ways that they ended up explaining their point of view. It wasn't just theology. It wasn't just like, hey, let me tell you theology, but let me explain my story. And within that, I'll tell you what my theology is. Um so I guess to kind of go off it, like, what do you see as some of the potential risks of harm in the concept of testimonies? What do you think are some of the benefits and advantages in general? Maybe not just about ours, but like, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I don't know if you heard this growing up, but they would always talk about when you're giving testimonies um, to try to give glory to God and not to the devil mm-hmm. um, type of thing. So it was always... Um, to be not not focused so much on like because basically in 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 summary a testimony is like i was this and jesus rescued me and the i was this to be you know like a fourth of it and three-fourths of it is the jesus rescued me part and now i don't smoke anymore or something you know Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of the way it did it and they didn't want you to focus on whatever the problem was or the thing that changed or whatever. Cause it was like talking more about what the enemy has done in your life as opposed to what God has done in your life. And 
that before and after I think is yeah. the slightly dangerous part in testimony giving because like you said it's not just telling a story but it gave and gives this false impression that now everything is different or everything is better and it's like everything can be good and and better to an extent but that doesn't mean um you don't deal with things and that's the impression that it gives it's like that now I don't deal with things and I even remember when we were in uh Paraguay at one point we I had taken my um I was doing my practical phase of my counseling ministry classes and we were at this church and a pastor that had invited us to give lectures on the need for counseling in your life was standing there telling us that real Christians didn't need counseling because Jesus fixed you when you took him into your heart and I'm like why did you bring this here? Like, I'm confused. Like, fix the rest of them. But I'm good. And it's like, no, dude, you're not. And we could see so many things wrong. I mean, not to judge. We could see some stuff that was heading in the wrong direction with this guy. Like, you're about to crash and burn. And a few weeks later, we found out some crash and burn details. You know, so it was like, eh. I don't want to be right about that, but we were right about that. Like, mm-hmm. there are things that you have to pay attention to in your life, and just because Jesus is there doesn't mean that now everything is easy. Like, I even remember my dad. My parents got saved when I was a baby. They grew up Catholic, and then they got into the evangelical church when I was like a year, like a year old, less than a year old, somewhere around there. And so they were kind of really pushed. They were young. They were. Uh, like 20 and 22 something like that you know they were really young they got into the church they got really involved they almost immediately they're like yeah you guys need to lead a cell group and this that and the other thing and do this and do that and my dad's like I'm not ready to do this I don't I'm, I'm. and they're like no 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 you're good you're good you're good you know and it was yeah, I guess that's just how it was in the 90s I don't know and then years later when a lot of stuff went really wrong you know those infidelity in my family uh my dad had drug issues, you know, all kind of stuff. And when at one point he's like, I feel like they tricked me. He's like, I feel like I was tricked. He's like, I thought stuff was going to be easy now. That's, that's, that's what, that's what they told me. That's what they told me. Like it was, everything was supposed to be okay now. And it's not, everything's really hard. And that's kind of the danger. I feel like there are in testimonies because it's like, yes, God is this amazing thing. Jesus is everything. But you're being dishonest to an extent if you don't tell the whole story. And I feel like to an extent, testimony could become that. Let's tell part of the story. Let's mm. tell the nice part of the story. And you don't tell the whole story. There's also the thing of like, I need it to be five minutes. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. you have five minutes. Go. Uh, I, uh, I went to a, uh, like a um, thing on sharing the gospel like a workshop on sharing the gospel. And they talked about all the different ways. And there's a lot of great, there was a lot of great things. Oh, yeah. And, um, and cause I, I love doing gospel, um, sharing in different settings and stuff. Um, but then they got to the testimony part and it, and it's so sad because I love stories and I love testimonies and I, and other things. They were like, we're going to help you figure out how to do your elevator pitch of your testimony. And I was like, that's y'all. That just sounds really bad. And then you had people coming up and being like, I was a liar. And now after Jesus, I've learned to tell the truth. And I was like, what's happening? 
What are we doing? Why are we selling used cars? I know. <laughs> I, yeah, there's just something about this, like, about this before and after kind of concept that we have about, like, that somehow when you meet Jesus, your life instantaneously changes of some way. Or even that it should change. Like, I don't know. Um, you know what? Another thing that's confusing for me, because I grew up in church. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, my parents started going to church when I was a baby. So I accepted Christ when I was two. And as much yeah. as people argue me about that, that I was too young and didn't understand everything, I remember that, so get off me. Mm. But I was like... I would always hear that and I'm like I was too my life didn't change I mean like I, yeah. it's not that I wasn't potty trained before and then I was like you know there was like what, what what sin did I stop doing at two years old no I was terrified of the dark and my parents explained to me that Jesus saves everybody mm-hmm. and so if I took Jesus into my heart he would he would protect me at night mm-hmm. and so I was like cool let's do that and I sounds prayed, like a great like, solution <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You're two years old. It's like, this fixes everything. Let's do that. And I was like, I prayed. I was, I was the firstborn, so I could talk. Like, I, was, I had full conversations at two years old. Um, you're surrounded by grown-ups. You learn to talk. It's like, mm-hmm. that or stuffed animals. And as you guys can see, I talk a lot. Um, and I did. And I remember praying that prayer. And after that, I stopped having nightmares. I stopped having night terrors and everything. So for me, Jesus made himself very real in my life. But this before and after that I started hearing it growing up, I'm like, I don't have that. Yeah. What did God change in my life? Like, where's my before and after? Like, I got saved at two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was confusing while I was growing up because I didn't have that. And I remember talking about that one time at a church about how, like, don't fool yourself. We struggle with sin, too. And this lady was like, yeah, she's like, my dad's a pastor. And I always wondered the same thing. Like, what's my magical, amazing testimony? Like, God did. And this people say this. God, God didn't pull me out of drugs. Um, I had, it was like a girl at a, at a church camp I led. And she's like, I never killed myself before. And I'm like, obviously not because you're standing here. But I get what you mean. Yeah. Like, all these church kids, they're like, what's my amazing testimony? What? They almost felt bad because God hadn't, like, taken them out of the dirt or something. Yeah. It's, I, I, I think that kind of connects to another part of what I see as some of the danger in, in testimony concepts is I think they, um, they communicate an idea of prescription rather than description. Yes. And going, oh, Oh, like I have a story of recovering from alcoholism. And therefore, if I share that, that means that every other person who has struggled with alcoholism, their story should match exactly like how mine is. And then that story gets weaponized in many ways in these situations. And I think that that doesn't really happen in a lot of other areas. But I think when... In so many ways, whether it's a story of a married couple and how they've gone through everything about their marriage or, um, or whatever, we begin to take it as a prescriptive way. Oh, so that's how it's supposed to be or, you know, in this situation. And I always remember people doing that with stories of queer people 
sharing their testimonies or especially, especially like ex gay people and being like, Oh yeah, there you go. That's the story. And going and then coming to me and being like, Oh, but that, that, and sharing these stories with me as if my life was supposed to be like theirs. And I was like, well, I'm sorry. It's not, it's just, it's not, my life is not like an ex gay person. I'm very much gay. And I have, gone through all of it you cannot say I haven't and my life is not going to be like theirs um but okay, yeah. so I have a question though mm-hmm. when you were in when you were like in exodus and everything mm-hmm. did you ever actually like say that or think that it was like yes I am now XK so yeah you get that's a whole thing of what I think is so dangerous about the XK narrative is you're almost pushed to to share about your story in those terms, even when the term, it's almost like a th- believe it till it's real kind of thing. Like, they you know, till make, you make it, yeah. Fake it till you make it. Um, Cause they, <laughs> you were told to be like, I'm no longer gay. I used to do all of this. And now God is like saving me from homosexuality. Such like very obscure terms. And you're like, but then to other people, like, especially to straight people, when you would share that way, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, you're straight now. Uh, when in your mind, it was like, no, I'm still attracted to men, but I'm communicating this because that's the route I think I'm going, you know. Yeah. So I definitely began after a while sharing, creating a testimony in some ways that fit the ex-gay narrative mm-hmm. um, of what it kind of felt like I was supposed to look like even though in my in my own head and and I mean this was like in this was even in high school you know like where you'd go to a camp or conference um and you would you would kind of create this narrative because that's how it was supposed to be even though I felt like this is actually not a good description of my actual not very accurate it's not very accurate but yet somehow you felt i I, at least i felt like i this is what i'm supposed to do you know say it in faith declare it all that yeah exactly and then you realize like no this is not this is not real this is not working this is not helpful um and um and, and i think that that has gotten me even just a little bit wary in general of of storytelling and testimonies. Mm -hmm. And and I think, I know that some of that's wrong. Some of it has been a process of having to redeem that of going Mm -hmm. like, God does work through stories. He he does show like if, if he didn't work through stories, we wouldn't have so much narrative in the Bible. (laughs) Like so much of it is the old Testament is almost all narrative. All like we have the entire life of Jesus, four different accounts of it. Um, but I think that for me was actually a very, very big redeeming moment after, after going through the ex-gay process and then like stepping away from that and then kind of going to the other extreme of like, no, I don't want anything to do with stories or, or anything like that, that it just reeked like ex-gayness. Like honestly, even when I would read like affirming literature, like Justin Lee's story, like thing where he told this story, I just didn't like, yeah, torn. I didn't like the whole Telling my story is like a thesis I'm proving. Yeah. Like, and I was like, I don't, I, my, my, my story screwed up. I don't, it doesn't fit anyone's narrative. So I was like, no, it's not polished and testimonies are given as, given as polished. Exactly. And, 
I think what was actually very helpful for me in redeeming stories was looking at, I can't remember who told me about it, but like, if you look at Jesus's life, you have the very same story told four different ways. Mm -hmm. And it shows that there's not necessarily one way of telling a story. Um, or your it's all life. told from different perspectives. Yeah, it's all told from different perspectives, and those four perspectives of the gospels, none of them are any less true. Yeah, but they are all explaining some truth about what happened in Jesus's life, and, and I think for me that gave me a little bit of hope of just kind of the rawness of stories in that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or any thoughts. On, okay. on what? You ask such broad questions sometimes. I do. I do. Okay. Well, then let me, let's go into a little bit more of the focused side of this. You know, we've talked okay. about um, when you are dealing with your story, when you're dealing with your life, explaining people ask you about your life, you know, especially being in a mixed orientation marriage. How do you normally handle that? How do you see, do you ever see harm in sharing your story what have you have you have any experience of like seeing a lot of blessing out of coming for out of your story what has been your experience with all that um one because like i said in my everyday life even though i podcast about this i don't talk about my sexuality much it's not that big part of my life um it's 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 not this huge thing but i have had people in the side b group especially uh women a lot of times they ask me about the marriage aspect they're like how did this work a lot of times the women who are in relationship with men um what do you think is it worth pursuing um do i keep going with this and i'm one i'm like i don't know bro like that's your relationship i'm not in it i couldn't tell you i'm like i can tell you where it... and that's kind of like where i have i've learned to kind of like step back from like i did this and it worked for me go do it mm-hmm. um I've been like, look, this is where I was at. These are the thoughts I had. This is where I had to go with this. So it's, I think that's where I've had to talk about it is being like um, marriage is not for everyone, gay or straight. Um, they're like, should I pursue marriage with a guy? I'm like, do you love him? <laughs> Start there? That would be I an important know. first question. Not just it's a dude. I'm like... I understand that that's one of our bases mm-hmm. in, you know, the traditional sexual ethic. Use a woman, that's a dude. That's like, that makes it okay. That means you can. Doesn't mean you should or you have to. Like, and just because you're in a relationship with him already doesn't mean you're obligated to continue in it. Like, if it's a bad relationship, leave. Um, if it's questions about his sexuality, that's kind of something you have to work through yourself. I kind of had to work through mine already married, so there's that. I wasn't actually, mm. like, I think the f- when I came out to myself will be 10 years this year in a couple months. Mm. Um, I was engaged at the time, and I'm like, hey, honey, I was bisexual when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, um, and he's like, his question was, he's like, but you like me, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, then what? You know, his question was the same thing I had in my head. Then why is this important? Yeah. It's like, I'm just telling you. At the time, I had no parameters for this. I had no way of thinking about it. That was just all I had. Um, you know, so it was, and I thought, 
since I thought it was a has-been thing, it was a was thing, it doesn't matter, and I got married and everything, and I did, you know, I did, and I do love him, so I was like, yeah, let's go with this, but I didn't realize how much my sexuality would affect that, because that was the first guy I had ever been in a relationship with also, like, so that's also a big thing, mm-hmm. um, you realize how sheltered I really was, um, not allowed to date and all that, but it was once I was actually married that I had to process some things. So when people have asked me, I think that's been the part that I've really talked about has been the part about um, the marriage thing. And then I was talking to someone else who's in, years ago, I was talking to someone in a celibate partnership. I was like, look, once people found out about my sexuality, I've done the thing. I got married. Like, I'm a missionary. And they still sometimes will be like, maybe you should do this differently, trying to make me more something else. It's like, no matter what you do, it's always going to be this way. You know, um, it's like we were, we were, we were, I, I sent it in the, in the group text. I checked. I was like, I can check off all the identity markers now. Like, you know, like <laughs> born again, mother, wife, missionary. <laughs> like, I got them all. Got them you all. Know? But it's like, it's just, I, I think with testimonies, I more like see like, what's the situation? Who's asking? Why are they asking? What are they asking? Mm-hmm. I think, like you were saying that, like, sometimes we, testimonies are shared, like, I did this, so you should do it too. I think people who give their own testimonies are more like, this is what happened to me, so there's hope for you. But I don't think people giving it are as prescriptive as, like, many times the pastors or leaders are like, look, this person did it, you should do. As I think most of the time, people who give their own testimonies are more just trying to just saying like this is possible as opposed to being prescriptive about it and that's kind of one thing I worry about like it's like I don't know if I should mention her but uh Jackie Hill Perry I remember when I was dealing with this like I don't know five six years ago I came across her testimony and the way she was when she was like 19 and the way she talked about it and everything and I feel like to a certain extent her testimony was launched and everybody was like, talk about this, you know? Mm. I mean, she was a poet. She did bring it up herself. But I think a certain narrative was thrown on her while she was still in the middle of processing things. Mm. And now that she's become a little more in control of her own narrative, she actually tells it slightly differently than she did when she was 19 years old. Yeah. You know, because that's another thing people forget. It's like when you're in a youth group or you're being mentored or pastored, when you're that young, sometimes, you know, you say things differently than you would when you're 30. It's true. It, it, and I think then sometimes you also learn more about your story. You gain more perspective with time. Yep. You know, anyone Because when who, you said it, when you were 19 and you said it, you believed it. You did. You did. And, and some of it may be true. Like, for instance, anyone who's listened to, um, to our... Who, any of our patrons who've listened to one of the bonus episodes from last year that I did with Michelle knows about what I'm about to say. But um, I have gone back and forth about taking out episode three of season one, where Michelle and I talk about kind of my introduction, that it, it's kind of been referred to by many people listen as like my story episode, when it was really just meant to be people that said, hey, you're doing this podcast, you should kind of give an introduction to yourself so then people know like who they're listening to. And so Why that's where- Why do you where, want to take it out? Um, so, the re- I, I'm not going to, but I did p- 
process for a little bit of thinking of taking it out because last year in October, I went on a road trip, which many people know because I did some recordings during it. And while I was there, while I was on that road trip, I got to see some people who went through conversion therapy with me that I haven't seen in years, years. Um, none of them are ex like none of them are gay anymore. Most actually, most of them are either non-Christian or side A. Um, okay. But um, I got to see them because we were always great. Like we were great, good friends and and all mm -hmm. of this stuff. And it was really healing for me to talk with them about processing some of the things about our story since then and and how like I went through periods of as I've said I've gone through eight different periods of conversion therapy but mixed in that were these times of um of go like either leaving faith or going out and sleeping around or like all these different kind of stuff because there was this there's this narrative that's put into conversion therapy that you can either be Christian which means trying to become straight or you go live the gay lifestyle which is right yeah drugs and sex and you don't not even a relationship you get into is just about the sex because there's no love in it it's just about drugs and sex and so when you're a kid and that's the only narrative you're told and after you try to become straight and then that doesn't work, you go, well, I'm going to go live the gay lifestyle because that's my only other option. And then you go out and you sleep around and you do drugs and you realize, well, this isn't healthy. So the ex-gay people must be right. So then you go back over into the ex-gay world and then you do all that again and you realize, well, this doesn't work. Well, I guess I should go do the gay lifestyle again, quote unquote. And it turns into this like pendulum swing. And I never had a concept of that, really, honestly, this pendulum swing until late last year to the point where I ended up going through counseling about it. And I was like, really? Yeah, I because and I think this is actually a result of the testimony situation, because as I was in it as a kid, everything gets sorted through this testimony time when I would go out and I would sleep with guys and I would come back. It was all put into testimony format. You were this way and now you're back and you're doing this. And that's literally how my brain had come to organize it. Um, and if you listen... But another reason I think you're going to like that Chambers book. I need to read his book, yes. Because he I, talked about that very thing when he was, like, really young. Mm -hmm. the, yeah, his, his it's called, what, My Exodus? Alan mm -hmm. Chambers' book, My Exodus. I need to read it. Um, yeah, so for me... It, when I listen to episode three, um, I go back and I'm like, oh, wow, that for where I was at that moment, that's so true of what my story was. But now I would totally explain my experience very, very differently. Um, and I don't think that either of those are necessarily wrong, but I've gained more perspective now. And um, I, I think that's why, like, for me... I become so cautious about talking about my experience in Christian settings because a lot of times I think in my, in my situation, people want to harp on this thing of, oh, you used to be in an affirming relationship and now you're not, and now you're celibate. Mm -hmm. And they want to harp on that. Like, I want to be able to share about my experience in order to make space for LGBTQ people in the church. Yeah. Like, that's what I want to. But then... I sometimes fear that then my story can sometimes be weaponized by like by Christians against mm -hmm. affirming people to say, oh, well, Josh did this. So you need to do this. 
kind of thing. Like Josh left this relationship. You should leave this relationship kind of thing. And it can become this very thing that I never intended it to be. And so I've always been looking for how can I share my experience in a way to say, listen, my experience can show that we need a space for LGBTQ people in the church. Um, And I think some of the ways I've started to do that is depending on who I'm around, I'll try to tell my, my story in a way that doesn't fit their narrative. Oh, okay. Um, and it, and it just depends. Like, you know, um, for when I'm around conservative people, I'll emphasize more of the part of like surviving conversion therapy rather than about leaving my, you know, yeah, my ex. ex. Um, and, and even around other LGBTQ people, I might even... You like, don't tell them the part they want to hear. I Exactly. I try not... And this is not just around Christians. It's really around anyone. I, I really try not to tell people this part of my story that they want to hear, that they just... That it fits their paradigm. Um, and that's been kind of something new I've started doing, but... I don't know. So what do you think are some... I, I guess we've we've talked a lot about some of the bad ways. Like bad that. Like, what do you what do you see as some of the of the good things that can come out of us sharing our experiences um, as LGBTQ people in the church? Um, I think in the sense of even like I started saying, like I always said, it's, it's really to give glory to God and to Jesus. Cause it's almost like saying, it's like, okay, so much bad comes from testimonies. Like when Jesus was healing, I'm sure everyone expected to be healed and there were people who weren't healed. That doesn't mean you don't tell them that Jesus healed people. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about like physical healing. Like, you know, he healed lepers and blind people and brought the dead back to life. You know, all that. He didn't bring everybody's dead cousin back to life. But that doesn't mean you didn't tell people about it. Mm-hmm. You know? And a lot of the time for many years, the part of my testimony that I would, you know, tell. Because like I said, I don't talk about my sexuality a lot. Was what God did in my life with depression. And it was... Mm really bad when I was a teenager and it that's really like I would even almost say the bigger part of my story like as bad as things got and I came out still loving Jesus like even in Simler's album it was as many things that people might say it's like she's still the part where she says she's like she still hangs on to the savior no matter what people have told her about him and what he thinks about her it's and I remember one time somebody told me that, and I don't remember what part I was of my story I was talking about. They're like, when you talk about your life, it we can just tell how much you love Jesus and that he's really done something for you. Like, that's just something that you hang on to. And I think that that's what our testimony should tell. No matter where we are or what the story contains, of just the fact that, like, the constant, the good, the, you know what you should be getting out of this is not me at all, mm-hmm. but Jesus and what God has done in my life in all of it. You know, if you, if, if people come out of your testimony, remembering more about you and less about Jesus, then whose story are you really telling in the first place? Mm-hmm. It's like, what purpose are you, with what purpose are you doing it with? Obviously they're going to remember our stories, but 
are they going to remember like how much I white knuckled it and how much I did this and didn't do that and, and how much I was able to hang on and resist temptation and, or like you know like I wanted to die and Jesus made me believe that life was worth living you know whatever reason may have been that you were in that place Jesus was still there in the darkness with you you know it's 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 just different ways of telling like you said just telling different different ways of telling the same story almost kind of just like the gospels the disciples all witnessed the exact same things and they all told them different ways because one was sitting over there and one was sitting over there and you know they just saw different things and different things were important to them and yeah our testimonies i think should be should be the same mm-hmm. that's really impactful what you're saying about like if people come out of hearing your like your story and learn more about you than jesus then that needs to be a red flag and many ways Um, and like it's it's odd almost to an extent because me and my husband like i said we worked a lot with teenagers and summer camps and stuff like that and we used to teach they always want us to teach about married because we were the young married couple and and all this and we would always try to what we would try to do is the thing to tell them your teenagers don't rush into relationships you don't need to think it think about it pray about it you know stuff like that but then as time went on more like when we were kind of getting out of that like we need to continue to say that but we need to add other things that like you know we saw a friend of ours who just many times as he has tried has not found the right one you know mm-hmm. he's just and my husband says like maybe he's not meant to get married you know stuff like that and you and i honestly love peter volk's thing because he's always pushing like we need to tell teenagers this mm-hmm. you know so it's like we've always also tried to say it's like we might be married we got married very young i can remember when i was 21 but that doesn't mean that that's what you have to do that doesn't mean that that's going to be your story that 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 doesn't mean anything about you at all and it's odd that i as a married person want to talk so much about singleness in an odd way like i really felt when rachel gilson felt like this is the chapter i feel odd writing about (laughs) yeah yeah i I think one of the greatest benefits I see also in this is um, when we share our stories, people, like, topics become humanized in Mm -hmm. many ways. Um, I, I think that's why one of the biggest things you'll see is the greatest thing that changes a person's views on LGBTQ issues is when they actually finally know someone in their life who is LGBTQ. I think that shows one of the reasons why. I've heard that be criticized as well. It's really? Odd. Well. Yes. It may be wrong, but it may not be the main thing. And so I have no research to back this up. So internet. No, no, no. It, no, what I've heard it criticized, I'm, I'm, I'm bagging on that view, um, is they saying that like we're um, distancing ourselves from the uh, Soda Scriptura view and we're going on the whatever the other one is that I can't remember right now. Uh, Solar. Yeah. Uh-huh. Something like that. Like we're going from something based in the word and the more LGBT people we get to know, the more compassionate we get on this and being like we're getting soft on sin because we see people suffering and like that's a bad thing. And it's like I don't Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I 
it's like I, I think what it is is it's that you see these are humans like this is an actual experience you know like I remember working with a group of pastors who were trying to figure out what like their church's stance was going to be on LGBTQ issues and I remember standing with pastors and like I know I'm probably going to offend y'all saying this but I'm going to say it anyway the decisions you're making literally don't affect your lives but they affect other people's lives so please remember the people who are going to be affected by the decisions you make because if you're all straight um you know like I yeah. think that there's just something so powerful and and I think that for a lot of LGBTQ people that might be in um in their community and don't know a lot about like they may not have all the details of what is LGBT inclusion look like in the church and how much can my church help all they have is their story all they have is their experience and many goes well that's what I can start with and I, I think that that's something great I think as long as we come from it from an understanding of first of all as you said and I think it's so important that our stories must make Jesus the hero over ourselves that they must highlight him above us and his kingdom, not our own kingdom. Like that needs to be the main focus. And the second of all, as long as we are having the humility in our stories that my story is my story and this is my experience um, yep. and I can't speak for every LGBTQ person on earth nor any every person on earth with whatever topic I'm talking about, you know, um, I can't do that, but I can share with you what has been my experience in that way and how Jesus has showed up for me, um, in this, um, in all of it. So I, I think that there are benefits in that. Yeah. That's one of the reasons like I like, um, Rachel Gilson and, and Lori Creek, I'll do like the way that they approach that in their lives as well. Cause they're also both married women who experience same-sex attraction yeah. and that's how they describe themselves um neither of them use lgbt language to describe themselves mm -hmm. and they explain why and they tell people and, and and everything but they're also very much so but that's me mm -hmm. you do you i have my reasons i think you know to an extent when you do something it's because you believe you're right you yeah. know it's not of course <laughs> <laughs> you know, so they they say that, you know, these are my reasons. These are why I think I'm correct. Um, but humble enough to recognize that I could be wrong, but this is me and this is what I'm doing. You do you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why, to an extent, side B people don't get along a lot with people who like to use same-sex language to an extent. But the reason usually being because people who use same-sex attractive language many times try to be very prescriptive of like, this is why I do it and this is why you should do it too but mm -hmm. they don't do that you know they they don't use LGBT language but they have no problem with anyone else using it and they're very conscious of like I'm married but that's not for everybody like we, we know that don't you know they're they're very conscious with their stories and what they represent and how they could be used and they try to avoid that mm -hmm. absolutely yeah I, I, and I again yeah, it's that whole prescriptive thing. When I try to take my experience and say, this is prescriptive of what you have to do and how Jesus is going to work in your life, then I am taking on a very author high authority that I'm not really sure I have. I don't, I know I'm sure I don't have. Yeah. Um, 
in people's lives when that is I, I think that there's something so amazing I was actually talking to someone yesterday about this how I, I really feel like you look in scripture and you see sometimes Jesus or just God like in in the Old Testament and the New Testament many times we get this idea of we know how God's going to work we know how God is going to do things and then suddenly God goes nope watch and then he does something completely different um right like one of the word like one of the words that has been given to uh, my adopted mom in colombia this past for 2021 has been the verse in isaiah about i'm doing a new thing um and she's just been my my for okay so i'm going to speak to all my evangelical charismatic people out there and I'm sorry to everyone else. Um, yeah, like my my adopted mom, she's like prophetic and she's amazing. And whenever she says something, I'm like, I will listen, <laughs> y'all. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she was talking about how this word has come to her about um, God doing a new thing. But it is just interesting for me to think about how God said that in Isaiah. God saying in Isaiah, I'm doing a new thing. And, and how many times he says that when we get into this understanding of like, this is how God's going to work in people's lives. And then God comes onto the scene like, no, I'm doing a new thing. And in this person's life, I'm going to do this. And in this person's life, I'm going to do that. And I think you even see this in like many times you'll see people in Jesus's like encounters with people that he'll encounter people with similar like contexts like of their life or like similar circumstances. And he'll engage them in two completely different ways. Mm hmm. Like, I don't know if you've heard the example before, but when we, I think the, one of the more common miracles that Jesus did or that are talked about or given in detail is the healing of the blind. Yeah. And he never did it the same way. No, he never, never goes about the same way. Other odd thing. You ever Extra wonder, unnecessary thing. <laughs> you ever wonder if Jesus just kind of thought and they're like, hmm, which way can I think of now? Let's do this. Let's use mud. Why not? Let's do it. And spit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's interesting, like, how you just, in all of them, in the way that he engaged with each of his disciples, he called each of them very differently. The way that he encountered the woman at the well, the way he encountered with all of this. And so um, I, I think that there's something refreshing in that to know that God is going to encounter each of us very uniquely. And even as... And I think that that's also something for us to keep in mind when we hear other people's stories mm-hmm. that like I've enjoyed washed and waiting. I've enjoyed like single gay Christian and all three of like Greg Coles, Wesley Hill and I are all celibate, you know, white gay men. And mm-hmm. yet they're like, I've enjoyed them. There's a lot that I don't connect with in their right. stories. There's just not. And that's because God's worked very differently in my life. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things I've said a lot is that um, the scripture says that God came that we would have life and have life abundantly. And abundant life may look different for you than mm. it looks like for me. Yeah, God doesn't give abundance in the same way because he doesn't count abundance in the same way that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't, he's like, I know what's going to make you satisfied. I know what's going to make you, what you need in your life not necessarily the things that you think you need or you think that you should be there and this ch- christian checklist that we have he doesn't give a flying flip about you know yeah. 
of the things that you need to be a happy little Christian. It's like, no, I know what you need in life and what your life abundantly looks like. I, I know because I made you, you know, and people want to be like, no, abundant Christian life looks like this because this is what my abundant Christian life looks like. This is what has brought me happiness and joy and peace. And it's like, yeah, but some of that don't bring you no peace at all that you have. It, it brings peace to you, but I don't want it. Exactly. Yeah. It's and like the odd thing that is was told beforehand before to many times Christian. I think it was told more to queer women. I don't know about men. I mean, I mean, not one, but what was many times told me like, you'll find the right guy one day. And it's like gay women are like, but I don't want one. Uh, yeah, I, I was actually having, a, this is a little bit, I know we're wrapping up, but this is a little bit of a tangent connected to that. And, um, I, I want us to sometime y'all, if you, if you female co-hosts want to do a topic, like an episode on this, I would totally be up for listening. But, um, I run an LGBTQ university student group. We met last night mm-hmm. and we were talking about how, and I think Sarah's brought this up on the podcast at some point anyway. Um, but how for so long female sexuality has been completely simply understood in connection to men. Like there has been no understanding of female sexuality apart from a man. Whereas like in the understanding of it, even at least celibacy, male sexuality has been able to be understood in a way apart from women, Jesus, for example. Um, And so, yeah, for like, I mean, I, I think that we as gay men definitely still get that. You'll find the right woman. And I'm like, no, no, I don't, I don't need one. But anyway, I'm very intrigued still by that, about the female experience with, with this. Well, cause it's societal norms of that woman needs a man mm-hmm. to get so far in society. And while most men want a woman, they don't need one. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So that's a whole other thing. Like that's that. a whole. We need it. Yeah, that'll be another topic episode. Yeah, we have so many more topics to get to on this podcast. Great. Okay. All right. Well, this has been good. I'm so glad you're back, Ashley. Same. I I did miss it, and you guys needed me because on the Christmas episode you said you didn't know Kristen Stewart was gay. I, did I say, yeah, I... You did say that. Okay, yeah. And I'm like, sometimes it's the, the knowledge of the women's queer side of the universe <laughs> you're just so unknowledgeable about, you need me. We do need <laughs> Mary's you. gone, I'm what you have left. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought she was straight. It's been public, well-known knowledge for a while. I... Even before she said it herself on TV, people knew before that. I just, like, so... I, I don't know, like, Miley Cyrus... She dated people, the I guy from Twilight, but that was it. Yeah, I just... Kristen Stewart... I, oh my gosh, people who love Kristen Stewart are going to be so mad at me. Kristen Stewart is so bland, I have no desire to know more about her. <laughs> and that is every male's opinion, apparently gay or straight, of her. Whereas queer women, when we were 15... Uh. That was a lot. I I'm sure it was like we didn't we didn't why do you think queer women watched Twilight that's that the movie was terrible it was garbage oh I've never watched it actually likes Twilight it's garbage don't watch oh yeah um and even the dude who's like me and my brothers are now we've seen movies with that guy in it we're like that poor man destroyed almost destroyed his career making that movie because he's actually a good actor and he had Mm -hmm. to do that 
And Kristen Stewart, maybe she's not the best actress, but it was always we, like young women, because I mean she's like our age. We was like, she was fine. Like when we were fifteen, <laughs> it was like we watched it. We were one reason only, and it wasn't these weird sexy, sexy vampire scenes. Like or none the of that. Werewolves. No, not really. No. No. <laughs> I mean, no. queer women weren't interested in that, but they definitely watched <laughs> that movie. You know. And then, like I said, it was, which, I mean, she had girlfriends for years, and I think every little gay woman that had a crush on her when they were 12 were like, yay! Yeah. And I was like, back in like, I don't know, it was a while ago. She came out when Trump became president, somewhere around there, like on okay. SNL. Okay. Like, publicly. But people had been knowing she was dating women for years. Yeah. I know, that's like... So when you said that, I'm like, oh my god. I know that was that was uh, yeah I mean I think that happens a lot of times with actors and actresses like for instance I can't remember who the actor is who plays Jack on Will and Grace uh huh and I was introducing that to a to a gaby I was introducing Uh them to Will and Grace and I explained to them some classics oh yeah I was explaining to them the actor who plays Jack didn't come out until like very late in the show like he didn't come out as a gay man in real life until I think like almost the second to last season or something. And they were like, what? And I'm like, yeah, everyone knew he was gay. It was very obvious because he only ever played in queer films or queer television shows. And just, it was known, but it was like- The skinny guy, right? Yeah, the skinny guy. Yeah. And, well, they're both pretty skinny, but yeah, like the, the, I know the you're sidekick. Um, yeah. But I, I think that that's definitely, I think you see it less now, but that was like a very big thing in the nineties and the early two thousands of, of, queer actors who everyone knew were don't queer, ask don't tell but you just it just was never talked about until later on and right. people were like wow so amazing anyway but i didn't know about Chris stewart that's why we need you and we're so glad you're back anyway all right well thank you everyone for listening thank you to patrons who voted on this topic we'll start the the next vote on the next patron Topic. I hope we did your choice justice. I, I, we hope so. Please, please let us know what you thought. Um, and we hope it was helpful. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye, everyone. Bye.